Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk to you about the Kingdom of God today, and specifically terms. We had a blog talk, uh, blog talk show this morning where we started out as an introduction, but now we're going to get into a lot of different words. We're going to have to really cram this two hours because there is so much confusion about the definition of words, and you're going to have to do a lot of homework on your own to get caught up with that understanding, but we're going to give you quite an introduction today. Uh, we were Skyped in, but we had to call in on, on the regular line because for some reason Skype decided to do an update. <laughs> and so we're, we'll hopefully we'll be Skyped in and be able to take your calls later on in the show. Uh, but right now we're going to look at a, a number of different words and give you an idea of how far this deception can go. Now this is, we have, uh, on this day in history, we see that the First Crusade, uh, Christian knights from Europe captured Jerusalem and began to literally massacre the Muslim and Jewish population. They were able to muster this huge army, and, and this is the great uh, learning process of this learning to put this huge army into the field of battle and travel long distances in order to conquer people in other lands had been progressively improved on in several hundred years before the Crusades, which this is 1099, that this is taking place, with men like the Bullion and uh, uh, Philip the Bullion specifically, and, and as well as a lot of others. There was a huge shifting that took place about 1,000 years after Christ in Europe. And this was the centralization of power of kings. And they were able to get people to swear allegiance to them, to pay armies to go into the field and move long distances to other valleys and conquer one valley after another. And this was a technology of society that they developed, not for the first time, but again, so that they could go from valley to valley and bring those valleys under their subjugation, compel their offerings and taxes, uh, and form these gigantic states that could muster more armies and bigger armies and put them into power. And this is a real science out of these how to keep the population in those valleys subservient to them. And they had to murder millions of people. And this is part of the Inquisition. This is part of uh, this rising of a church that was crowning men over men. Christ came to set the captive free. This other church, still using his name, still using many of his same words, were now using the power of these governments that they were crowning, Stephen and, and uh, Philip and and all these different, uh, eventually William the Conqueror, about 1066, were being crowned by this church and said that you now have a divine right to go over and subjugate the people, bring them under your authority. Now, in order to do this, Rightfully, they had to get the people to bend their knee, to bow down, to pray to them for benefits, and that's where they got the real power. Because 
they now obligated the people to look to them for their salvation, for their solution, for their safety, instead of looking to God and what was called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, same thing, it's the right to be ruled by God. While this other church is going around saying, no, you need to be ruled by men. And he was not returning every man to his family and every man to his possessions as the Messiah was, but they were bringing every man and his family and his possessions under the authority of the centralized governmental power. And this was the total antithesis of what Moses had taught, what Abraham had taught, what the prophets had taught, but it was the sophistry made acceptable in the minds of many. Now, there were many men born during these times, in the humans of they were beginning to question this. But it is, was a strong delusion then, it's even a stronger delusion today. That somehow or other these governments were ordained by God. They were not ordained by God any more than Saul was ordained by God. God warned them, do not choose this king. Do not choose a king over me, that I should not rule over you. But they did it, as they did in the days of Egypt. And we keep going back to God returning to his vomit and the pig to his mire, and we've re-mired into this. Now, there's no simple solution, yet there is a simple solution. Repent. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, stop looking to those central governments all over the world for your salvation. Start looking to the ways of God, which are the ways of faith, hope, and charity. Start learning to contribute to each other's welfare, to faith, hope, and charity, to the Eucharist of Christ, the thanksgiving, and helping one another out, coming together, finding yourself by love alone in free assembly, what we call congregation, and pick men who are ministers of Christ, Pick men who want to set you free, want to make you stronger, not weaken you, who want to bring you together in your faith, hope, and charity system of self-government, which we call the kingdom of God. If your minister is not moving you in that direction, pick another minister. Get out of that church, go to another church that will do what Christ said. And we're going to show you how they've deceived you by all these different words. Understanding history, also the French Revolution began, and uh, partisan uh, revolutionaries and mutinous troops, they call mutinous troops, stormed and dismantled the Bastille, which is a royal fortress. And it led to a huge bloodbath, because that revolution was not a revolution of love. It was a revolution hating the tyrant. Bad idea. Do not get involved in revolutions that hate the tyrant. Love your enemy, but seek righteousness. You need the revolution of love. And that means you have to start coming together and binding yourself by that love alone. I'm just saying in history, Congress passed the Sedition Act, making it a federal crime to publish false, scandalous, or malicious writings about the United States government. The government, that was a seditious act. Not just a seditional. That was a seditious act for freedom. 
because it was stifling free speech, because somebody's going to decide, I think, what you said is malicious, because it's critical. You see how they open the door, and once you, and these were fairly good men, and they were already moving in that direction of exercising authority. You tempt your leaders when you give them power. So when you pick your pastors, your ministers, don't pick men who seek to stand in front of you and rule over your thinking. You must do as I say. Pick men you see like Christ, who are literally willing to wash your feet, serve the needs of your society in a way that strengthens your society. So, on this day in history, Alfred Noble uh, demonstrated dynamite for the first time in a quarry in England, and we're going to give you a dynamite show uh, about language. We're gonna, what we're going to talk to you about is very explosive. It's going to be very challenging. And you're going to have to measure what we say in your own heart and decide for yourself. Don't believe me. Don't make me your guru. Don't make me your ruler of your mind. You start doing your own thinking. And that's also interesting because on this day in history, Alfred Fellows patented the first tape measure. And that's what we're supposed to do is lots of measuring. So we're going to reveal a lot of stuff, as we always do, about the Bible, about words. And you're going to have to think about it, ponder about it, pray about it. And then maybe it will take you somewhere else. Because also on this day in history, Robert H. Goddard patented the first liquid rocket fuel. And so we're going to rocket our way <laughs> to the truth. And it's going to come rather quickly. As right now, headed towards Earth is a solar flare, X.4 class flare. Pretty omega flare. Not going to be a disaster, but it's going to, when it hits tomorrow, it's going to actually put a lot of energy and current into the Earth. And that could trigger earthquakes, volcanoes. We've already seen some activity because this is a proton event directly facing Earth. We know eventually there will be a mega flare that will start knocking out power and cause all kinds of disturbances and, and could even uh, bring you what is referred to in the Bible as fire and brimstone, and all hell will break loose at that time. So you need as much of heaven's ways in your life. You can't just sit there in the pews in the true church and mumble in your head what you think is your faith. You have to be a doer of the word. And the Bible tells us that it's the doers that cometh to the light, not hearers only. So we need to take this new information that is coming to you, research it out, find out if it's really true in your heart, and then act upon it. So, you know, I quote Roger's International Thesaurus uh, in the book Covenants of the Gods, it's hardly possible to find two words having in all respects the same meaning. Then it is of the utmost consequence that strict accuracy should regulate our use of language 
and that everyone should acquire the power and habit of expressing his thoughts with perspicuity and correctness. So we're going to take a look at a lot of different words and see how they have different meanings. And, and people sent me big, huge, long lists of words. We've already looked at marriage and the idea of the great domestic relationship of husbands and wives and shown the great distinction between those two. And you can read about that in Holy Matrimony versus Marriage, and you can also uh, we'll make available the recording for the first half hour, which we talked about it in a little bit more depth. But there's a vast difference between marriage in the state, which is a three-party contract, and what God instituted, which was Holy Matrimony, or you can call it, uh, the reason I use matrimony versus marriage is because the similarity of the two words, but really it's not called matrimony, it's called husband and wife. That's the name, capital H, capital W, husband and wife, the great domestic relationship. And it's not subject to the state. And the remedies are completely different than what you get when you go to court today because the relationship you have is not husband and wife. The relationship you have is small letter husband, small letter wife. You are taking them as husband and wife, for husband and wife, instead of husband and wife. You are entering into a two-party contract with the state. And the state says this. If you read Holy Matrimony versus Marriage, the first chapter of the book Covenant to God's available at you will see that's what they say. Don't believe me, but believe them when they tell you that you're entering into a relationship where they have power and you do not. So, we also talked about law versus legal. How these are completely different ideas that what is legal is legal because you become bound. We also talked about uh, constructive contracts, which are not common law contracts, but they still create an obligation. I was reading these, and I often tell when I'm reading directly out of, like, Black Law Dictionary or Clark's Summary of U.S. American Law, Fundamental Law Book, and I'll read again. A quasi-contract rests upon the equitable principle that a person shall not be allowed to enrich himself unjustly at the expense of another and is in fact a contract but excuse me in fact not a contract but an obligation which the law creates in the absence of any agreement so yeah quasi contract is not a common law contract but it can still create an obligation if you have enriched yourself unlawfully at somebody else's expense when and because the acts of the parties or others have placed in possession of one person money or its equivalent under such circumstances that in equity and good conscience he ought not to retain it. In other words, public education at the expense of another. Not the result of free will offering, but the result of someone saying, time to contribute with a gun, and you went down and received the benefit of that man with a gun, 
forcing your neighbor to contribute to your free education, you become obligated. force your neighbor to contribute to your free education, so it's okay if your neighbor forces you to contribute to his free health care. You set the rule. As you judge, so shall you be judged. There is a real obligation. How do you get away from that obligation? You say, oh, I didn't understand the terms. Have you been given any kind of money or its equivalent that is absolutely valueless when you went out and bought a house, a tractor, or a car with it. You gave it to somebody else saying, here, take this, because they wanted it. Even though you knew it had no value, if you didn't know, you should have read the Federal Reserve website that says Federal Reserve notes have no value. Unquote. Quote, unquote. You see, they get you in these quasi-constructive contracts is an application of law. It's not law itself, but the obligation is just as real. And if you get dragged into a statutory administrative court, they're going to hold you to those obligations. And they're going to throw you and your straw man in jail if you do not fulfill those obligations. But, hey, good news, the gospel. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything will be straightened out. Now, what does the kingdom of God look like? Does it look like people running across the desert individually saying, I'm free, I'm free? Or does it look like a well-disciplined, self-disciplined, free association, I see you say free association, free assembly of people. That's why you use those words carefully. Correctly, non association because of the certain legal connotations with association. Free assembly of people is the congregations of God. And the church was appointed by Christ to serve the tents, the houses, the homes of the congregations, the free assembly of his people. And now we call those congregations and ministers who are bound only by a relationship, not by an association, not by a contract, but by a relationship. And what is that relationship? That relationship is love, which the words that they translate into love in the Bible, if Paul says it, they translate it charity. Christ says it, they translate it love. <laughs> more of that word thing, more sophistry. Why, when Paul says it, he's translated charity. But if Jesus says it, he's translated love. Same way. Why are they trying to say this? That may be accurate because charity, true charity, is their love. You know, in my notes, I, I put down a few. Like Mark Twain says, actions speak louder than words, but not nearly as often. We need to put our idea of seeking the kingdom of God into action. We need to come together in free assembly and make a record of if we love our neighbor, who's our neighbor? People ask me, who's my neighbor? Well, if you're in a free assembly, 
At least those people in your assembly would be counted as your neighbor. And you come in that assembly and you say, you know, I often say this is a buddy system times 10, 10 families come together in this assembly and cling to the idea of the Eucharist of Christ caring for one another. Aristides, Justin, Notopology, gave him to emperors like Hadrian and Antonius Pius and said, this is what we're doing. Why did they, why did they have to do that? Why did they give it to the emperor? Talking about Christianity. This is what we're doing. And what did he say we're doing? They go on and on about those that have care with those that don't have. That we are constantly taking care of one another. Why are they bringing that up? Why are they, are they boasting? They're giving you an argument for Christianity. Because why were, under Hadrian, there was a great persecution of Christians. Not so much by Hadrian, he actually said, leave the Christians alone. Why were they persecuted? Why were the people persecuted? Some of the magistrates persecuted. Some of the magistrates left the Christians dead and defended them against the people who hated the Christians. What were they accusing the Christians of being? Believe it or not, they were accused them of being atheists. Having no God or God. Why? Because who were the gods of life? Well, Augustus was supposed to be a god. The, these emperors were called gods. They were actually called apotheos, originator of God. How were they originator of God? They appointed judges throughout the empire. What were these judges deciding? Facts and laws? Determining right and wrong? Choosing what is good and evil for you? And in your temples where you registered your birth certificates and that's what you did when you got your birth certificate under Augustus, what did they do with it? They registered it at the Temple of Saturn because that's a government building. You re ambassadors registered there at the Temple of Saturn when you came into a city. They kept the records there. That's the temple. That's a pagan temple. Why do you have to have a birth certificate? Well, you're going to have benefits for being a citizen of Rome. Even if you weren't born in Rome and lived in Rome, you could be the citizen of Rome. Paul was not a citizen of Rome in this sense. Because the citizen of Rome was someone who was in the subject citizen. When they talk about anyone who became a, 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 and we talk about this in a lot of our recordings in Paul, we have a booklet on this, we explain that he was Romeo. It doesn't mean a citizen of Rome, it means a citizen who is whole in possession of his rights. But I'm talking about the enfranchised citizens who got the free bed and services of Rome and the benefits and the health care that Rome offered. Those citizens, in order to get those benefits, they had to have that registration. And they had to have that in Judea as well. 
Welcome back to Kings of the Kingdom, where we're talking about uh, the Temple of Saturn, where you registered your birth, and once you did that, uh, they would keep that record, and then when you were eligible for benefits, parents died, came of age, whatever, you could obtain those benefits. Now, the benefits weren't great at the beginning, uh, but they grew, and if there there was a great need for centurions, uh, people to join the military. And so that you could become a citizen of Rome by joining the military. It's still the law today in the modern Rome in the States, is that if you join the military, you automatically get Roman citizens. We see Paul talking about being a Roman to the guard that was, they're about to torture him, literally, to get some information out of him. And he says, is it lawful to do this to a Roman? And he says, are you a Roman? And uh, he goes and gets the head of the cohort. And the head of the cohort, now this is the head of the centurion. Uh, the leader of the entire cohort of centurions. Huge number of soldiers. Huge responsibility. He says, are you Romeos? Are you Roman? And he said, yes. He says, I had, but the guy says, I had to pay a great sum for this freedom. Well, if he just joined the military, he got to be a Roman citizen. So they're not talking about Roman citizenship. They're talking about being whole in possession of your rights. And why am I bringing this up now? Well, partly because we happen to stray over into that area. So Paul wasn't a Roman citizen as I'm talking about the enfranchised citizenry where you are regulated at every turn. You're not subject to administrative courts in what Paul enjoyed, that great freedom. You were by being an average Roman citizen. and But you had benefits. And they knew you had benefits because you were registered. And they kept a record. When you joined the military, they kept a record. And now you would get a certificate. You would get what they call a titleist. And this would be an identity for you. If somebody stopped you, you could show this titleist. And sometimes it was on a clay tablet that was baked like a ceramic, and you could actually carry it around like a credit card and show it that I am so-and-so. And even if you lost that, it would be registered at the temple. Herod did the same thing. He set this up. Well, you could be born again as a citizen of Judea. And the temples that he built would provide you with benefits once you were registered with that temple. In order to get registered, you had to come. Every time they all knew that when you were born, there was this gush of water 
You were living inside your mother in this womb filled with water. They all knew this. They were natural people. So you had to go get immersed in water again in order to be born again so that you could enter into the benefits of the temple set up by Herod. So he sent ministers out, not only over Judea, but all of Rome, to baptize people into the kingdom of God. And they would be registered at the temple. I'm registered at this temple. I'm registered at this temple. Because I was born again in baptism, in this washing in water, by the ministers of Herod. And then along comes this other guy, baptizing, immersing people in this water, being born again, out there in the desert. And they say, how does this work? We know how Herod's system works. We go get registered. We get a certificate. Our name is entered in. We get a little stone certificate with our name on it. And then we get benefits. How do we get benefits with you, John? You have two coats. He has none. You share. Faith, hope, and charity. There right there is a distinction between the kingdom of God and the world. There's the word, world. Five different words in the English language, uh, in the Greek language that are translated into the English word world. Aeon, okomene, uh, cosmos. And to tell you the truth, Uranus could be. But they use a word that means constitutional order or system of government. Read the pamphlet. Read the chapter. My kingdom is not of this world. It's all available. Explains detail out that that word meant my kingdom is not of this Roman government that exercises authority one over the other and compels the people to make their offerings to provide the benefits because that would give me too much power. And we know God the Father has power. That would make you my father, that you could force me to offer and give, and that I have to go to you to get married and get permission. That would be wrong. That would be so much power, it would tempt you, and you would become like Saul. And I don't want to tempt you. So I'm not going to give you that power. My kingdom is not of your world. But my kingdom is here on earth. And it operates through faith, hope, and charity in the Eucharist, the thanksgiving of Christ. And if any of ours have a need, like Aristides and uh, Justin was saying, we come together and fill that need through faith, hope, and charity. And that is our sacrifices. So we have no ruling judges, gods, forcing us to contribute. We contribute because of our relationship with God and each other. This is the difference between Christianity and the ways of the world, the ways of Christ and the ways of the world. Christianity, there's a word. Are you a Christian if you are not actually following Christ? 
If you're putting your faith in men instead of Christ, can you say you're a Christian, a follower of Christ? Most people who say they're a Christian are not following Christ. Now, that may be because they have been deceived because of the meaning of words and history, etc. But they are not following Christ. So they are not real Christians. They are modern Christians. They are Constantinian Christians. They are false Christians. They are apostate Christians. Whatever you want to call them. But they are not real followers of Christ because they are not doing what Christ said. They're doing the opposite. They're praying to men who exercise authority one over the other. They go to church to make them feel good about that. And the church says, that's good. That you, when you need something, you go to the government. They even have, in many churches, the pastors have a list of welfare offices you can call if you need help. If your church is not the entire social welfare of your congregation... Your church is not doing the job that Christ gave the church. They are not preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They are not even preaching Christ. They are saying the word Christ. They're saying Jesus, but they're not doing what he said. And so that whole book, Covenant to the Gods, goes through words. God versus government, employee versus enslaved. I mean, the word employee, if you look it up in Clot Summary of U.S. American Law, look it up in the in the uh, index in the back, it says, see, master-slave. Because that's where you'll find out all the information about employee. Because someone who is employed is a slave. He has sold himself to another that he must do the bidding of. And you are not employed by McDonald's or or uh, Rocketdyne or any of these corporations. You're not employed by them. You're employed by somebody with a federal employee identification number. He employs you by a privilege granted to him by the federal government. When he is employing you, he's employing you with that authority. So therefore, you are not employed by them you are employed by the federal government. And a portion of what you earn will go immediately to the federal government. The work, the labor, 10%, 20%, 30% of the labor you do in that job will go straight to the government to build the pyramid, to build Egypt, to build the power. And you have to give it. You are obligated to give it because you have a contract because you have a relationship, an obligation with them to pay. You're back in Egypt again. You've returned to the bondage of Egypt, and Jesus didn't come to bring you back to Egypt. But the modern church brings you back to Egypt because the modern church is not doing what the original church was doing, taking care of the needs of your people through faith, hope, and charity. They are sending you to the Pharaoh to get benefits. They're sending you to Nimrod to get your provisions. They are not doing what Christ said. And therefore, they are not coming to the light. So you need to understand these words. And that whole book, Covenant to the Gods, goes through words. Money versus mammon. Karagma. 
versus the card. Pragma, badge of servitude. The body of Christ versus the body of the state. One of the reasons the early church was persecuted is it would not go down and get a license to be a registered temple receiver of donations and purveyor of benefits. And so from the Senate's point of view, they were illicit. They were not illegal. They were illicit. They were not registered church. But what was their argument? We're registered with Christ. We're a separate government. We're, our kingdom is not of your world. Jesus would not appeal to Pilate for protection because Pilate would have granted it. But Pilate said, this, this man is the king. He didn't think the Pharisees would have him crucified. But they would. And they, they did two things. Now, Jesus said, pay your tally of bricks. Or Moses said that, but Jesus said, pay Caesar what you owe Caesar. And you owe Caesar because you have a quasi or maybe even an actual contract with Caesar. Give me benefits and I'll pay you this much. I promise to pay this much if you promise to give me benefits. You have an agreement. And you all have, There's. I haven't found anybody who hasn't taken some benefits. Somewhere, some form of benefit. I mean, I didn't go to public school. A lot of people did. My kids didn't go to public school. Most kids did. But that's a benefit. That's tutor. That brings you in. And there's there's a lot more to it. But we we will we only got two hours to deal with two thousand years of sophistry. <laughs> We're not going to get it all in. So. Anyway, uh, we have a whole list of words that somebody uh, has given us, and we've gone over some of the Christianity. Are you really following Christ, or are you just got this title, Christianity? Faith. Where where do you put your trust? You know, that's what they do it little bit by little bit. They creep in the damnable heresies that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government. So what do you really believe in if you don't believe in Christ, if you don't go to the church for your daily bread? If you're getting your daily bread from the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, you're not getting your daily bread from God. You're getting it from the gods of that world, that constitutional order or system of government, because that's what the word world meant when Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It means constitutional order or system of government. You're getting your benefits from Rome. you got to repent, turn around. Now, you can't do that all at once, but you at least have to start to assemble and work together to lift this load. You're not just going to teleport over to the kingdom, but you can turn around, repent, and start going the other direction. And this is why Christ came in and said, yeah, you have to pay Caesar what you owe him. You have to listen to the Pharisees because they sit in the seat of Moses. But don't do as they say. Love one another. Start taking care of one another in free assemblies, in congregations of record, 
I'm going to watch your back. I pray you watch mine. That's living by faith. And that's turning around and going in the other direction. Because you're either going one way or the other. Are you going towards Rome? Well, we've been going towards Rome for a long time. It's time to start turning around. And you need each other. Not because each other will provide you the benefits, but because you need to start providing benefits for others. You need to become a blessing in order to be blessed. So anyway, we've talked about baptism. We've talked about world. Baptism was entering into a system of social welfare. And if you entered into the system of social welfare talked about by Christ and John the Baptist, one that operated by the perfect law of liberty and faith, hope, and charity, talked about by Paul, if you entered into that baptism, you were cast out of the system already set up by Herod and the Pharisees. And on Pentecost, thousands opted out of one system simply by getting baptized. Now, this is a different group. Now, when you hear Paul talking to that group, they've already made the move. And they made the move based upon the provision that Christ made. Christ said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you guys, and I'm going to give it to another. He was able to do this when they said, if you get this baptism of John, legitimate high priest, pontificate maximus of the kingdom of God, who said, who is to follow me? Jesus. So Jesus was high priest and king. That hadn't happened before. Jesus wasn't a Levite. How could he be a priest? His father was dead. The eldest member of his family was John. John was a Levite. His father had been high priest. His father had been murdered. And now he's high priest. And the temple is defiled because someone's murdered in the temple. It was defiled to begin with anyway. It's built by Herod. Built by a social welfare system identical to that one in Egypt. Herod brought the people back to Egypt. Well, they will go there every time, as they did in, under Samuel, because they will not have God rule over them in their hearts. So now you have to come to a conclusion. Where is your heart? Where do you pray for salvation? Where do you pray for security? To heaven? Do you wait upon the Lord? Wait upon the free will offerings of others who could help you? You should be doing that now. You should be gathering in those assemblies and tithing accordingly giving the ministers who are true ministers of Christ, if you can find them, they're hard to find, the power to go out and look for the lost sheep by supporting their ministry and to start bringing those people together who are willing to sacrifice for each other for even those they have not yet found. 
I've told the story many times of me being up on top of the uh, the high butte above the church property and hearing sheep leaving the gate down below. The gate's always left open, but they've got a thousand acres to wander around on, so they never usually go up there. It's open right now. They're not coming out. But anyway, they uh, I look down there, whole herd of sheep are being led by a sheep we had named Cora because she would lead everybody away. Whole group, I yelled from way up there, 800 feet higher than them, yelled, hey, get back in there. Two-thirds of them turned around and walked back down the road, through the gate, went back inside the property, stopped, turned around, looked at the ones who were still out, the third and Cora were still out, and bad to them to come with them, come back. That's all they could do. They couldn't rope them. They couldn't tie them. They couldn't handcuff them. They couldn't bring them under arrest. But they bad to them. But Cora would not hear it. Cora kept on going. And a third of the sheep followed away. And then I called my son on the cell phone, and he brought the border collie and chased Cora and the rest of us back into the field. <laughs> if we hadn't done that, eventually coyotes would have eaten them up, and they would have starved out on the desert. And and so we did that. But like God, I will not strive with them forever. We had a sheep that escaped from the flock, just fled, just ran away in the opposite direction, ran up the hill. I ran all the way around him and didn't have a dog that would follow at that time and uh, ran all the way around that sheep and chased it back to the flock. And it did it again. And the third time it did it, I mean, I couldn't run anymore. I was wore out. I was a pretty good runner. I was a marathon runner. But that guy had wore me out running up that hill with rubber boots on, so I had my irrigating boots on. And there's no fences. We were just out on the desert. And the third time he ran up there, I just waved goodbye. And we never, ever saw that sheep again. I mean, it just went out there in the desert somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure it became a tuft of wool somewhere before summer. <laughs> but it would not stay with a herd. Don't be like that sheep. Don't be like Cora. Start coming together. It's very important. Tithing. That's your gift to God. Why are you tied to a minister? So that you will free up his time so that he can go out and look for the lost sheep. To check, I mean, your average minister in the kingdom of God, one man, one family, is only looking after ten families because they were organized into the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So that shouldn't be a full-time job, but he is health, education, and welfare now. But at the beginning, why do you tie to him? Because he really isn't doing that much. You're all homeschooling, right? You're all learning home health, right? So, I mean, what's he doing? Well, he's connecting with other ministers, creating a living database of information and resources to help you with that health, education, and welfare at home. He's also looking for the lost sheep. He's checking on the elderly. That's a full-time job. And if each of you were to give him 
10% of what you earned, what you produced, gave to him, which would be a strain because most of you have to give 20, 30, 40% already to the government. But if you provided him with 10%, he could devote all his time to looking for the lost sheep and bring more people into your congregation until your congregation was 20 families. Once your congregation was 20 families, you could divide into two separate congregations, get another ministry. He wouldn't get 20 families, 100 families, and have 100 families tithing to him. What do you get? Why would he be getting... He'd be getting... Ten times what you would be making in a year, on average. He only needs ten families to do that. He's not building a big brick building with big screen TVs. He's forming the kingdom of God through righteousness, by taking care of each other through love and faith and hope and charity. If you're not doing that... You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. If you'd like to get a copy of this program, you may subscribe at LibertyRadioLive.com for only $45 a month, and you'll receive an MP3 CD weekly of all the First Amendment rights. Media as a bonus, we'll send you a password for our audio archive. Online dollar value, or you can request any month of any program on one MP3 CD for a minimum donation of only twenty dollars, or any single program on tape, MP3 CD or CD for only fifteen dollars. You can do all this online at LibertyRadioLive.com. Just follow the instructions to make a donation or subscribe. Don't do internet. Then call 559-781-3773, 559-781-3773, and we'll be honored to help you. Thank you from all of us here at the First Amendment Rights Media Group. I pledge allegiance to the King of Kings, and to his kingdom come, on earth as it is in heaven. One holy nation, and a heavenly Father, great mercy, justice for all. Welcome back to Kings of the Kingdom. We're talking about terms. We're talking about words. If you want to get together, get on the 
network at hisholychurch.org. Join the different email groups and see if you can't find people. If you've joined that and you can't find anybody in your area simply by going on an email group, then maybe you need to gather with existing ministers and start working towards uh, bringing more people to these groups and helping us find those lost sheep. Uh, That's up to you. That's between you and your conscience. We will not send men to your door with guns to force you to contribute to us. We're not that kind of government. We're Christ's government. We serve through faith, hope, and charity. And you want to look for men who are laying down their lives and their wealth. and their. Jesus was a rich man, extremely rich. He had some, some of his relatives were the richest men in the Roman Empire. Joseph of Arimathea, his uncle, extremely rich man. Joseph was actually a stonemason, and he was actually a major contractor building stone edifices. And there was a lot of that. He helped build many of the buildings in Caesarea. Uh, he built buildings in Egypt. He was a famous uh, uh, architect and stonemason. Yeah, they they want you to think, oh, yeah, he was a poor, humble carpenter and all this stuff. No, bunk. Not true. Doesn't even say the word carpenter in the original text. He was a stonemason and he had large crews working for him and they did huge work. And they made good money. And it's allowed Jesus to get a lot of traveling and had a lot of very intelligent people coming through their uh, family and their home. And everybody knew who Jesus was. But they didn't understand. And just like today, we don't understand what he was about. Though he was rich, he made himself poor. That's what it says in the Bible. Though he was rich, he made himself poor. You see, Levites could not have vast personal estates. They belonged to God. They didn't have any inheritance of land to go to their children. They were Levites. They were ministers. They didn't own the land. Of course, you don't own the land either. You only have legal title, which is another one of those words. Legal title is an apparent title that carries with it no beneficial interest. Beneficial interest, what's that? The right to use the property. So you buy a piece of property for four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000. You don't have the right to use it. You stop paying the use tax, you'll find out how much you own that property. You have to pay for the use of it. You don't own property. Therefore, you are not a free man. Therefore, you are not a man born on the land. Because what land are you born on? You have to be born on free land. You have to have a dominion. You don't have that anymore. Americans were getting that back in 1600. Almost a third of the Americans actually owned their land and couldn't be taxed on their land. If there's taxes on your land, you don't own it. And you can't just wave your magic wand and make that happen. You have to repent and turn around. And then you may inherit the earth when destruction comes. I noticed I just got an email 
or they're asking because of the CME that's going to hit the earth tomorrow. Not a big one. Don't get all excited. I'm not predict- predicting doom and gloom, but it would be interesting to watch that. Uh, there are connections between what the CMEs hit. They're going to cause a huge current to the earth, and it could trigger earthquakes. It will trigger activity in volcanoes. Most of them will be below the ocean. But we're entering into solar max, and the fact is we could be hit by a mega flare at any time that would just knock out power all over the country. But I'm not predicting doom and gloom. That's just a reality. If you got four tires on your car and you're going to take a big trip, one of those tires could go flat. Eventually, one of those tires will go flat. We had two flats this last week on hay carts out here. And they're very hard tires to find. <laughs> this is a very old, old hay cart. It was originally a grain wagon. I, about 30 years ago, I converted it into a hay cart. And the tires are about rotten. But bad things can happen. But if you're men of faith, you have a treasure that most people would not know of. The kingdom of heaven, the treasure is in your congregation. And the networking congregations. Now, we have ministers or men who are PCMs who don't really get it yet. You don't really understand. But they're there and we're being patient with them, figuring it out. Because it's a lot of changing of our thinking to really see the gospel. Because, like I said, they've had 2,000 years to lead us away from that. And words are the way in which they do it. And that's why we're coming to terms with these words. We talk about stone altars and clay altars. Clay, what kind of clay? Adama. That's the word they use in the Hebrew. Adama altars or stone altars. Now, the interesting thing is the Hebrew word for a gathering of stones is a council of friends. Is your minister your friend or is he delivering you into bondage? If he's a friend, he's setting you free. Your minister is delivering you into bondage to him or to his thinking or to, to whatever. If he's not actually trying, how are you delivered into bondage? You need benefits. You need grain when there is no grain. You need bread when there is no bread. So where do you pray for your daily bread? In Israel, they had to pray to the Pharaoh for their daily bread, and they became slaves in Egypt. Now, we use the word slave there. That's really a misnomer. They weren't slaves in Egypt. They were in bondage. They were under obligation. But they weren't slaves. As a matter of fact, slavery was never really very popular in Egypt in those days. They didn't need it because the people were in bondage. They didn't need to enslave people. They could pay you. The government could pay you to do work for them because you had to pay the government. You had to give 20% of everything you earned to the government. 20% of your labor belonged to the government. You could go and work it off or that obligation, or you could just send them money. That's the way it worked. You were in Egypt. You're in Egypt today. Except it's not 20% as it is today in Egypt. It's 20, 30, 40, 50%. And to crowds of state, they're taxing you at every turn. Those taxes are your tithes. You have to pay them. 
because you are obligated to pay them because you have eaten at their table and their table has become a snare because you have agreements with unbelievers who do not believe in faith, hope, and charity in the Eucharist of Christ. They believe that it's okay to force their neighbor to contribute to their welfare. That's what they believe. That's not what Christ believes. Christ believes it's okay to live by love alone in faith. And if we followed Christ, he would be our salvation. Because their system always fails throughout history. It always fails. And it is, it is well-primed to fail today. Well-primed. So you need to be tithing to ministers who are really trying to set you free. And that you know they're trying to set you free because they're trying to find others who will serve each other in faith, hope, and charity. They are the stones of the altar, the gathering of friends, friends to you, friends to Christ. They are the altars upon which you should be sacrificing. And if you're not sacrificing on those altars, if you haven't found those stones, you better look for them and find out who you can sacrifice to because unless you do the will of the Father, you will not come to the light. You will lose what little understanding you have. If you begin to act upon what you are beginning to see with true sacrifice in the character of Christ, laying down a little portion of your life so that others may live, then God will give you more life. If you will not do that, that doesn't mean you have to send to me. You have to give. You have to let go of your life so that you may have life more abundant. How many different places can I point? For those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you realize I'm quoting from it all the time. People say, you don't mention Christ enough. You don't listen to the radio show enough. Every single book I've written, every single page has biblical quotes on it, including Christ. So you need to be giving if you want to have more. If you're just keeping what you have, oh, things might be bad. I need to save. You need to save others so that you may be saved. And how many people have not heard this? How foreign is this message? How many people have heard this message? And yet we lay it out more and more and more. church. We talked a little bit about that, but church was what Christ appointed. He didn't appoint it to everybody. He appointed it to his little flock. Because you are to be the princes of this kingdom, but not like the princes of the other government who exercise authority one over the other. So that's another thing. You can see the princes, you need, need not to be men who exercise authority and tell you what you have to do. I'm telling you the precept. If you don't give up your life, you will not have life more abundant. If you're not getting your daily bread through faith, hope, and charity, then you will go under bondage. You are slothful in your faith, hope, and charity, 
you will be under tribute. And that is why you are under tribute today, because your parents and your grandparents were slothful. And your ministers were slothful and and let ideas creep into their their gospel, their church. That said, it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. It's okay to go down to the government and get benefits from men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. Christ said it's not to be that way with you. They say it's okay to be that way. So you tell me, are they leading you to Christ or away from Christ? Romans 13. Oh, we've got whole shows on that. And then we're not going to take up the time to cover that. Romans 13 is very clear. Peter is very clear. Very clear. Whole book on Romans 13, The Higher Liberty. You can read it online for free. I give it to you. Casting stones. Stoning. If the altars are living stones and someone is being immoral and abusive in the charity they're receiving, they, they have needs, but they're lazy. They're promiscuous. They're fornicating. They're lying and your congregation sees this and they're receiving benefits from your altars of stone those men you call friends bring it to his attention you know this person is drinking with the money that you give them how many people have seen people in the lines at food stamps getting stuff they really shouldn't get how many people have heard of people using food stamps and these you know, buying food and then redistributing it. How many people have known somebody who's on disability working under the table for cash? How many? I mean, I can, I can name you dozens of people that are doing it, claiming to be on disability, conspired to get on disability so that they would get that check. First thing they did is went out and buy a new car, and they mow lawns all over town and get paid cash. Train horses. Disabled, but they're out there training horses for cash because they don't report that because they're disabled. I can't do this stuff. But they go to church. Talk about bearing false witness. They are saved. They believe in Jesus. It's just an example of what the whole church has become. the And I say the church, those churches have become. We need to conform to Christ. We need to get back to the basics of Christianity. Burn offering. If these offerings given to these living men were actually burned up, what good are they? They are burned up to you. You lay those offerings on those preachers. And... and that's a whole subject in itself. Go read uh, uh, Artifice in Language Land. That's at hisholychurch.org. Read it. And I've got to take the time out to finish the book on Altars of Blood so that you understand that these were systems of social welfare based on faith, hope, and charity. 
They want mindless, unmoored religious rituals of burning up animals. Never was intended to be that way. And it was twisting and distorting the meaning of words very clearly, very clearly, easily provable. But I don't know anybody else who really shows this. You know, I see it in the first century, second century apologists talking about what Christianity really is. But I don't see any minister showing you that the church is supposed to be your social welfare. I mean, it was 200 years ago. If you need a welfare, that's where you went. We have gone so far away from the kingdom. We have lots to repent. And we are streaming quickly in the wrong direction. Someone asked about the word Gentiles. Most of the time when you see the word Gentile in the Bible, it's translated from the Greek word ethnos, which means other nation. So the Jews were Gentiles from the Roman point of view. Because the Romans saw them as another nation. So therefore they were ethnos. So they were referring to them. The same battle was going on in Rome. Rome was not a bad place originally. Its entire government was supported by free will offerings. It was fairly close to a pure republic. The Senate could make no laws. The temples were uh, temples that received free will donation. Even the uh, brother and uh, uh, grandson, or not even the grandson, brother and nephew of Paul, who were Romans, had this going on when they were in Great Britain, where they were donating funds to build public works to provide services for the people. There was a huge debate going on in Rome that these public services needed to be provided by free will offerings, not by taxes. Now, it started by taxing foreigners, but then eventually it taxed the Romans themselves because everybody fell into this enfranchised citizenry. And, of course, America was very much the same. Uh, tariffs and excise taxes they could impose. Tariffs is taxes on importation of goods. So taxes on foreigners, you see. But now they have taxes on you. And you're supporting the government. And you're doing it not through free will offerings, but compelled offerings. Which, if you read Call No Man's Father, you'll see how that works. And, you know, I've got dozens of articles up there. But you actually have to read it and study it. But you've become ethnos to the kingdom of God. You become foreign to the kingdom of God because your ways are foreign to Christ. You're not ruled by God anymore. You're ruled by men. And people say, oh, well, we have to obey the government until it tells us to do something that is contrary to Christ. Forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare is contrary to Christ, period. And you do that. And all your social welfare. You cannot. I talked to somebody just the other day who should know better, and his father is not teaching him. And I said, "You can't be a Christian and a socialist. 
at the same time. Cannot be. His eyes just, just shocked. And and we've talked about this with people who think that Christ was a socialist. I mean, how absurd can you get? And he, he, one of his things that he says, well, he made wine and gave it away. That's not socialism. Socialism is sending men to your neighbor's house because your neighbor made wine and forcing your neighbor to give his wine to you and then you go out and give some of it away. And you say, there. But that's not what Christ did. Christ made wine and gave it away freely. He didn't force somebody else to give it away freely who worked hard to make it. If you can't see that simple distinction, no wonder. You're not doing what Christ said, and therefore you had not only not come to the light, you live in darkness. And hopefully that young man will begin to see the light. Oh my gosh, never thought of that. Golden calf. Golden calf was the central bank. All the city-states did this. Not all, but most all the city-states, city-states, civil city-states. There were groups they called city-states. They didn't have that civil authority. They came and they said, well, you know, we'll help you build a wall. We'll loan you money to build a wall around your city. And Athens did this to one of these uh, groups up north. And they said, Why? well, then we would owe you. We'd have to pay you back. We'd have to pay you with interest because you loaned us this money. Uh, we don't want to do that. And they said, well, what are you going to do? You don't have a wall around your city. And they said, we are our wall. And this is what they were saying in the apologists. We are our social welfare. We meet every week, and those of us who have share with those who do not have enough. Wherever we go, we not only take in our own if they have a need, we take in strangers on the road. This is the way Christianity was. And they were accused of being atheists because they were not a part of the social welfare system of Rome because the social welfare system of Rome had gone in the 500 years before from a free will offering system of tens, hundreds, and thousands, which is how they were organized, to a compulsory system of taxation, forcing the people to contribute to the welfare of others to their temples, The Eretium, uh, right next to where you got your free bread, was next to the temple. Why? So that they could check your ID, your titleist, your kragma, your badge of servitude. That's what it meant, the mark. Kragma is the Greek word for what they call the mark of the beast. You have the mark of the beast. It is your social security number. It is your badge of servitude, and with that, you can get benefits. Without it, you can't get benefits. you got to have it. And it's linked with all these other countries. And it is your salvation. In order to get it, you have to prove that you have a birth certificate or that you have been certified by them as a child of the state, agreeing to labor for the state for free. 
that your portion of your labor belongs to the state. And you give power to the state, and it corrupts the state, and it's your fault the state is corrupt. Because the state should have remained with you. It should be your estate. How were the apostles robbing the temple at Ephesus? They were accused of that. That's the World Bank. Because they were creating a system that was working, was taking care of the needy, and they didn't have to listen to the decrees of Caesar because they had another king, one Jesus. You're not to that point, most of you. Because you're not, you don't have the government of Christ. You're not contributing to the government of Christ. You haven't picked ministers who want to set you free. You pick ministers who want you to be a part of their congregation so that you're tied to them. They want to gather you around so that you support them. Then you give them money so that they can buy some fancy building. <coughs> Excuse me. Or they want you to uh, contribute so that they can, you know, create some sort of safety enclave. Here, we are contributing you a safety enclave to the church as a body. We have produced this. A whole life in our labor, we, we're not taking retirement. I could be collecting Social Security now. I'm not collecting Social Security. Kingdom of God is my social security. That means you out there seeking the kingdom of God. And I take all my wealth and I lay it down. Where wealth, I'm, I wasn't quite as rich as Jesus. <laughs> Whatever I produced all my life, I lay it at the foot of the church. But I need to find those men who are making and women who are making the commitment of their lives to lay their lives down too. Their pride down. Their arrogance down. That's what I'm looking for. That spirit of Christ in other men and women. That's a big deal. It's hard to find. It's a precious as a ruby. Precious as a pearl in a field. And we should be willing to give up everything we have to find that and bring that together in the ways of Christ. So I looked down this list. There was a lot of milk and honey. Milk and honey, that would be the beneficial interest we talked about um, if you have a legal title to property, legal title by definition is an apparent title that carries with it no beneficial interest. The beneficial interest is defined as the right to use the property. If you don't have the right to use the property, you don't have a right to the profits and gains of the property. Therefore, you don't have a right to the milk and honey of the land that you thought you owned. And that's where Israel is is where you have a right to the milk and honey. Over there in Israel, what they call Israel over there in the Middle East, they don't have a right to the milk and honey of their land. They have heavy property tax, heavy tax on their labor. They don't even have a right to their labor. 
In Egypt, they had to pay 20%. In Israel over there, they have to pay 50 and 60% of what they earn to the government. They're not in Israel. They're in Egypt. <laughs> they are. I know that's uh, hard for a lot of people to accept. Egypt is a system of government. The word Egypt means bondage. It's not slavery as in the sense of the strongest word uh, of servitude and slavery. It's bondage, though. It's an obligation. And you're back in Egypt again under those obligations. You're not in Israel. Israel is a place where God prevails. And where God prevails, there's freedom. There's liberty. There's the right to choose and the responsibility to choose according to the ways of God. If you don't exercise your responsibility to choose, Fight the fight. We are here to equip you because you love the truth. LibertyRadioLive.com The program you are listening to is 100% sponsored by you, the listener, on this First Amendment Rights Media channel. You will notice that there are few commercials on this radio network. There's a good reason for that. Corporate advertising dollars come with strings that limit program content. So without your help, these programs cannot continue on Internet or our several affiliates. If you benefit by the educational law programs, we ask you to give. If you are admonished or nurtured by the Bible and ministry programs, we ask you to give. If some voice a cause that you are passionate about, we ask you to give. If you believe in any of these, we ask you to support them as you would a missionary on a continual basis, as if giving a tithe for Missionary Radio. These programs are not commercially viable and must be supported by those faithful to the cause of truth. Look for the button to sponsor your favorite programs at our Listen and Schedule pages on the Internet. Then, when you subscribe, we will send you the last quarterly MP3 CD of that program immediately and continue to do so with each new quarter. We will also give you unlimited archive access to all of our programs. We're asking you to give much less than a tithe so that you may also send support directly to a particular program host, cause, and anywhere else the Spirit may lead you. Do all to the glory of our God and Creator for his holy nation, the only kingdom that will last forever. Thank you for listening. Now listen to me. The Bible says, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. I want you to know that a corporation is Caesar. Government takeover of the church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have 
for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD, Government Takeover of the Church. Who will tell them, if not you? Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. Well, welcome back to the Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about words, uh, and if you want to talk about what we called uh, our talk in what we called the campfire talks, you have to come out here or meet with us in person. We don't talk about everything on the net. We're controversial enough. Uh, and so we give opportunities for people to come out in larger numbers and meet other people that are seeking the kingdom, seeking the righteousness of God. And they are at the feast, the same as it was in ancient Israel. These feasts had a purpose gather people together to start creating those relationships that are so essential in the kingdom. And that relationship is not, you got to listen to me. That relationship isn't, you have to use my terminology. That relationship isn't, you have to go down my checklist of what you have to believe. Our checklist is Christ, Christ alone. Our doctrine is Christ's doctrine. And if Christ didn't say it, it isn't a part of our doctrine. Now, we look at the other epistles and stuff like that in order to help us understand his doctrines, but we also look at all kinds of scripture, all kinds of writings. That's what the word means. All scripture. And it, that means all writings we will look at. But we know that it is essential that the character of Christ must be written on our hearts and our minds. And it is Christ that we are conforming to, not some religious group. We're not starting a new religion. We're not starting a new church. We're conforming to his church. So if you want to come out, come out to our fall festival uh, the last week of September, first week of October. Uh, Some people are coming out earlier. Some people might stay a little longer. Uh, But come out and meet the group. And you can find out more about that at hisholychurch.org. And we refer to it this year as the Burning Bush Festival uh, because uh, if that connotations of Moses started with this light he saw out in the desert that he said was a burning bush because out there in the hot deserts at night sometimes the bushes would actually burst into flames because spontaneous combustion, but they'd burn out shortly. So there he was looking out to an uninhabited part of the desert, and he saw this fire, this light. And it was a burning bush, he thought, but it did not consume. And so he followed the light to see what it was. And that's what we need to do is follow the light. And each of you are seeing a little glimmer of light in what you're hearing here, or you probably have already turned us off. Uh, or maybe you're just listening so you can find something wrong with us and you want to come after us and get us. <laughs> but uh, uh, the fact is, is 
for whatever, if you're beginning to see the light and it does not consume, you need to act upon that light. You need to move in the direction of that light so that you may have light more abundant. You must act. And so that's very important because time is go, go, wearing away. So anyway, you can come out to our festival and meet other people, and you'll be more than welcome. Uh, and that's in the latter part of September, and it's our fall festival. So anyway, uh, some of the other words that people have mentioned, someone sent me love and betrayal. They wanted to know... Uh, on to talk about the meaning of these words. Well, betrayal, it's an interesting combination, love and betrayal. Betrayal is defined as to deliver or expose to an enemy by treachery or disloyalty, uh, to be unfaithful in guarding. Okay, if someone is not being faithful in guarding, that's a betrayal. Maintaining or fulfilling if they're not faithful in maintaining and fulfilling, that's a betrayal. And they literally become allies of our enemy because they expose and deliver us to our enemies. They fail to guard us. They fail to maintain us. They fail to fulfill their obligations to us. And what are their obligations to us? Righteousness. And they may be others. They may be husband and wife. Husband has an obligation. A wife has an obligation. If the husband doesn't fulfill his obligation, which is what? Guarding, maintaining, fulfilling. If he chooses not to, then he is betraying his position as husband and he no longer should have a right to his position as husband. And the wife has no obligation to fulfill that which he has betrayed. Now, this is a touchy area because we are not in judgment ourselves. We must make discernment and we must listen to the judgment of God. And it's very easy for people to prejudice, well, he's a bum. And I don't have to listen to him. If he's not perfect. Well, none are perfect. So you have to balance this out very carefully and pray about these things. Now, love really is, should be an easy thing. But it's very hard because there are all kinds of love. It's one of those words that we use. You know, my cat loves birds. He loves mice. And he loves them. I mean, he, he likes to play with them, you know. And the birds actually land nearby, you know, and he, uh, they dance around. They know the cat's there. But it's like they're tempting the cat to jump on them because uh, they're going to fly away suddenly. And occasionally the cat catches one because he loves them. He loves them to play with them. Unfortunately, at the end of the play, they're devoured and he's fatter. <laughs> so <laughs> that's love. But that's not the kind of love you really want to be looking at. That's not the love of the kingdom. You see, the kingdoms of the world love you. They will Give me your huddled masses and we will make slaves of them. And we will become fat and powerful because they will honor their father, the state. And if they don't, we'll beat them. Like Christ said, the bad servant was beating 
people, making them pay. But the good servant was forgiving that. You see, these are the principles of the kingdom. I just apply them in everyday life. So love, honor thy father and thy mother, means to fatten. And those of you who have read the Artificial Language Land and understand what the stone altars were and what the clay altars were, your clay altars, stone altars are the ministers of the church. Now, who are the ministers of the church? Well, that's for you to decide. Christ has ordained them. You can't seem to recognize them. You think that guy down there at the local church building who's delivered you back into the bondage of Egypt who isn't doing anything to deliver you away from Egypt and back to the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. He's just tickling your ears, telling you you're saved when you're not saved telling you that Christ loves you even though you have become a Nicolaitan. There's a word. Nobody listed that one. Nicolaitans had the Arabalum. What was that all about? They were conquered people. Nicolaiti. The conquered people. How were they conquered? To covetousness. They desired benefits at the expense of their neighbors from men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. That's the error of Balaam. That's the Nicolaitan. Balaam means conquered people. That's you guys out there in those churches in the world. You're all conquered people. You're conquered by your own covetousness. You've desired benefits at the expense. This has been going on for hundreds of years, public schools. All these taxing your neighbor, forcing him to contribute to build your society. What does it say? Look up in the Bible what it says about building your city with blood. Look up city and blood. What you get. Talk about betrayal. You've delivered each other into a system of bondage. Because you didn't mind if your neighbor was forced to contribute to your welfare. What agreements do you have? Tons of agreements with unbelievers who do not believe in faith, open charity. And it's time you repented. So these are these are just some of the words. We do have a number you can call that you can ask questions if you want to add. And there is a chat room if you're in the chat room. And I think I can give you the number here. Oops, pushed the wrong button. And uh, I think it's a 559-726-1300. That's right. And you have to dial in. So I'll give that number again. So if you want to write it down, 559-726-1300. And then you got to have a code number to get into the right call. And so I'll give you that code number. So don't put your pencils on yet. 795-132. And then you have to push star 6. You can actually listen to the show that way, I guess. But if you push star 6, we'll know that's raising your hand. And somebody will push the button. So 
If you have a question, you can call in with that if you want to try to tell me off and make my day. And uh, we'll straighten you out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you want to ask a question in the chat room, put lots of question marks behind it, and somebody moderating the chat room will pass that question on to me because I'm not watching it. So anyway, this is uh, very important that you begin to understand the meaning of words because they have shifted them for the sole purpose of bringing you back into bondage so that you don't understand. Uh, and uh, and so that you don't come to the light. And so qu- that you become their subjects and you fatten them. I have a question if you can hear me. Sir? Um, you mentioned a little earlier on that Egypt actually means bondage. Where does it mean that? What what language or what reference is that? Yeah, you actually have to go way back uh, uh, in in ancient languages because uh, uh, we call Egypt Egypt today, but it didn't actually call itself uh, Egypt at that time. Um, you know, it, uh, and and then partly the word. Uh, I think in the Hebrew, the word is Mitzrayim, or something to that effect. Yeah, Mitzrayim, yeah. yeah. Um, which, of course, starts with Mem, uh, and actually ends with Mem. So you have these two words that mean flow. In the middle, you have the word, uh, the letter Resh, which almost has to do with ruling. So you have two Mems and a Resh, and you have a Yet and a Yad in there. And, uh, but, uh, uh, some would say that Egypt means the land of the Copts, which is why you have the Coptic Christians today, the Egyptian Christians. Uh, but, uh, so in the Hebrew it's one thing, but, um, in, uh, uh, other languages, uh, it might mean something else, but, so the Hebrew word that, means Egypt actually is it comes from another word that means like besieged or surrounded or uh, I was trying to think of uh, uh, you know like a fortress you know and I always remember a line from the movie Magnificent Seven it always sticks in my head um, where the the Magnificent Seven the Yul Brenner uh, uh, I can't even remember all the stars that were in that Anyway, uh, they were defending, it's, it's from an old Japanese story, and they're defending this town in Mexico. And in order to prepare for these 40 banditos who come there and abuse the town uh, and offer them protection, <laughs> mostly from them, which is, you know, just government, uh, they built these walls around the town and civic improvements. Uh, and... Uh, the the bandido is saying the these walls will not keep me out and uh, Yul Brenner says they were made to keep you in and you see his expression suddenly change and he realizes that he may be in a trap he doesn't know how many of these guys there are and uh, but anyway that's really what Egypt is all about uh, it's it's the pin that brings you in and offers you protection, a fortress, uh, safety, 
but it actually is delivering you into bondage. And, of course, if you go to uh, uh, Peter, he, he's talking about to covetousness they shall make merchandise of you. If you read the verses before and after that, you talk about with great swelling words they will promise you liberty uh, but deliver you into this bondage. And, of course, that's exactly what's happened throughout the world. America should have been the forefront of pure republics and Christianity, and it has been delivered away from that because we have fallen in love with words and flags and, and our... Of, past glories, and we've gone back into worse bondage than ever before. We have unmoored the precepts and principles that made us free and clung to the symbol of that freedom. And now none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who believe they are free when all the evidence is to the contrary. So that's why I say we're back in Egypt, we're back in this bondage. We're back under this obligation because we have looked to them for our health, welfare, and safety and found that what should have been for our benefit has become a snare, a trap. And that's exactly where we're at. We're back in that Egypt again. And again, you know, if some people don't know the Bible and haven't heard these, because I quote the Bible a lot, and quotes that people have never heard. That's directly out of the Bible. That's directly from Paul telling you about what you'll do. But anyway, I, I guess that kind of answers your question. Uh, the word Egypt doesn't sound anything like uh, the word that we see in the Hebrew text, uh, which is Mitzrayim. Uh, but what we've come to know as Egypt, that's actually... Uh, it, it has to do with bondage because probably of the fact that when we're in the land of the cops the, uh, uh, the Coptics uh, we were uh, in bondage not the land of the COP cops yeah I think we're in there now <laughs> yeah oh that's a Coptic unit behind me <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway <laughs> So anyway, if there's any other questions people have, they can throw them out. We can go on. I do have other words listed here and uh, that people sent in on the forums that we can look at. Uh, some of them have kind of been touched on anyway. Uh, uh, they asked about Israel. Israel's word, God prevails. Canaan. Uh, Canaanite was uh, uh, means the trafficker. Uh, it means it's the, you know if you're if people are going to be in bondage in obligation in servitude somebody has to own the right to enforce that obligation and that's the Canaanites they were uh, traffickers of human flesh and it's very interesting that you know we're all back in this bondage but right today there's this huge a resurgence of what they call white slavery. It isn't always white. I mean, there's a huge number of people, uh, there's blacks in, in the same type of slavery all over the world. Well, they're actually, you know, like capturing young girls and putting them into these, uh, uh, you know, can be actually work areas, or but a lot of it is prostitution. And that there's a huge market of that out there in the world today 
and it's growing rapidly. And, of course, it should grow rapidly in a society that has become as selfish as us. And if you want to be free from that, you need to turn around and go back the other way. You have to become unselfish. And this is why I think giving is so important that we let go. And it's very hard to do. Uh, and, you know, people have been burned so many times by people who, uh, and that's why I'm not saying you have to give to me, but you have to find, look out amongst yourselves, find men that you trust and start giving. But keep an eye on them. Watch them. They need to be men of record. We have ministers of record. They will not be ministers of record if they do not keep track of what they give and to who they give it to and what, uh, in other words, when people give to them, those ministers of records, they need to be of account of what they do with what they are giving. And mostly to their congregation, but also to those who bear witness that this is a minister of record. If you do not keep records, we will not recognize you. You can go on and be whatever little church or congregation you want, but we will not recognize you. And and we have that right and we have that obligation. As a matter of fact, it's a sacred duty. The apostles had to deal with that. There were a lot of people who wanted to follow Christ, but they didn't want to be a part of the apostles. They were so burned by government, they thought, well, this is kind of like government. Even though these apostles were commanded not to exercise authority, they were still gun-shy of that. So they were doing things in the name of Christ, but they were not a part of the church appointed by Christ to his little flock. And Christ said, let him do it. you got to let him do it. But the real church appointed by Christ actually kept records. And and you can see evidence of this all throughout history because there was a great deal of church property in the first century, church property that was used to produce food and shelter and these monasteries where they trained up ministers who were all married. There wasn't celibacy then. And they were taking care of the needy and learning how to be ministers of a free government. And that land was confiscated. Long before Constantine, you see the Roman emperors returning that land. Returning it to who? It was sometimes taken away 100, 150 years before. How were they returning it to who? They, They decided to return it to just randomly? No. They were well organized. The union and discipline of the early church was well organized. And it was returned to the succession, the the uh, record of who was the church. And they returned it. When Constantine called his Council of Milan, his, uh, his original council there, there were 1,200 recorded known bishops that were supposed to come. Now only 319 showed up because they weren't answerable to their kingdom wasn't of his world. But 319 showed up. Next time, about 150 showed up, so they weren't very pleased with that. And that's even after he started his own Church of Constantine. So they were well-disciplined. They had to be because suddenly you had huge volumes of people ousted out of a city, Rome, 
kick the Christians out. Uh, they fled Judea before uh, Jerusalem fell. They had to all leave Jerusalem. And they, they went out past the Roman guards. And they were allowed, they had free passage from Titus. Where'd they go? How'd they know where to go? They were well organized from the bottom up, from the ground up. And that means the elders of every congregation needs to take their part in policing the policies of their minister. Is he doing a good job? Is he setting the captive free? Is he returning every man to his family and every man to his possession? Or is he delivering us back into the bondage of Egypt? And the only way you can do that is you must become the providers of your congregation and your congregation of congregations. And that means you need to sacrifice upon those altars. Now, we're not looking for ministers with theological degrees. We're not going to exclude them. They make us worried when we know they have a theological degree. <laughs> but we're looking for men of service because the ministry of the church is service to the people to keep them free. So anyway, we're at the end of another program. Nobody made that call. So I guess everything I said was correct. We'll see you on Freedomizer. We'll see you next week. We'll see you God bless. Thank you, Paul. Amen. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.